Metropolis to the Bat's Belfry is about half an hour by train, unless the tunnel lights break at Central Station. Third time this month, apparently. We were stuck on the track, waiting for repairs. It was as good a time as any to catch up on some reading, and even if we weren't going to meet the Bat himself, we had some stories from his mirror version to tide us over. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every Elseworld reversal. Yeah, so here, here's the thing. The Batman comics that we were going to get took too long to get to us, and luckily I have a lot of comics. And <laughs> Fun fact about us. <laughs> fun fact is that we don't have any, any shortage of reading material for this podcast. Oh my lord, no. So I picked... For us to keep in the Batman spirit, Batman Earth One. Uh, the Earth One series is graphic novel length stories that are set in the Earth One universe, which is very confusing because technically Earth One is Earth Prime. But if we're doing the, I don't know, engineering numbering system, Earth Prime is actually Earth Zero. So I'll I'll give them that. Earth. Mm-hmm. So maybe Earth Prime is Earth Zero. So Earth. Prime is where the primary storyline for DC happens. It's where the events of Rebirth are currently taking place. You know, it's hmm. it's your it's your general canon, unless otherwise specified. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Earth One, in this instance, I will make the distinction, is a different Earth where different circumstances have occurred to make slightly varied versions of beloved characters. Um, it's a multiverse story, but anything that happens anywhere else in the multiverse that isn't Earth Prime to me is an Elseworld story. That aside, to keep in the Batman theme, we're doing Batman Earth 1 because it is the origin story and a little bit of a continuation uh, of Bruce Wayne and Alfred and Batman. Since it's been a long time since we've actually talked about Batman, rather around eight months or so uh, as of this episode airing. That sounds right. Or recording. Might actually be more. Maybe. Uh, We wanted to kind of talk about Batman again in a way that wasn't just like we didn't want to get Batman Rebirth and then jump into like how like what the search for the button means and what Flashpoint is like I didn't want to talk about all that because I didn't want to throw a lot of heavy concepts at you if you're listening to this podcast specifically to be informed about the DC Universe that would be a disservice to you however uh, we can still talk about Elseworlds that start from the beginning that are good stories because I don't think that makes anything more complicated than it already is it's just a different version of the character that you have become aware of these tend to work off of established pop culture knowledge and not assuming that you know too much Correct. more so if you yeah. have seen any of the batman movies or you have listened to this podcast if at you've all, seen a t-shirt yeah. you're probably up on it. Uh, the batman the animated series if you have that cursory knowledge or if you've just listened to the podcast you know enough to read Batman Earth 1. Yeah, Bullock is the deepest cut on this. That being said, we're going to jump right into a summary that's going to be a little bit more detailed since it is a graphic novel and it is one story and not multiple, so we kind of get to play... Remember that time when John used to do long summaries? <laughs> uh, don't worry, Joanne John. took uh, the no, day off? No, 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 Joanne's here. She's timing me to make this happen to 15, which means I get to have a little bit more fun to play with stuff, but still, I want to keep it concise. Mm-hmm. Um... This is written by Jeff Johns and drawn by Gary Frank. Jeff Johns is one of my favorite writers in the DC Universe. We've actually talked about this comic in the Bat and the Furious episode with uh, Koi. I I recommended this. So if you remember that episode and you were like, I wonder what that comic's about. Guess what? We're going to talk about it right now. So enjoy. So this 
comic starts off initially watching Batman sort of fail at apprehending a criminal. Obviously, very not the Batman we're used to seeing. He's not as good as he should be. His gadget malfunctions. It's a bad time for Bruce. Uh, we flash back to seeing Thomas and Martha Wayne prematurely celebrating Thomas's pretty clear election to mayor of Gotham City. And who should arrive late to the party but Alfred Pennyworth. We see that Alfred and Thomas are actually really good friends from the war. I'm assuming uh, Thomas Wayne was an army medic who saved Alfred's life. It's the Wookiee life debt thing. You get the picture. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, you get the picture. Right. They're they're old war buddies. Uh, Martha, in this instance, is actually in Arkham. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, we oh, don't... We're going to have to talk about this later on. But I love this bit. And I yeah. want it to be canon. Yeah. Because it works. Um, I was actually really happy with her being in Arkham. Giving her a little bit more of a character and a flesh out. Because we don't really know a lot about Martha Wayne. Unless it's Flashpoint or other things she's she's not a really big character um so this is the night however that they have their family night so they take bruce out uh despite alfred's warnings that he has been getting uh that thomas has been getting death threats saying he needs a head of security hence why alfred is there he has volunteered to be thomas's uh head of security but he's like oh don't worry about it for tonight we're doing family night we always do it and i want bruce to have a normal life famous last words so they go to the movie theater to see the movie uh, the power gets cut in the movie theater, and Bruce, being the little shit that he is, demands to catch a uh, showing that night because he wants to see the movie that night. So he bursts out of the dark movie theater into the alleyway. His parents have to follow him, and he, brush, he brushes past a vagrant uh, who says, Watch where you're going, kid. And Bruce, responding in a way that makes me so happy because he's such a little shit. Oh, um, utterly. And it's, it's amazing, and I love Bruce Wayne being a terrible person. Um, says, I don't have to listen to you. My parents are the richest people in Gotham. And I'm like, yes, it's your fault! And I love every second of that. And as such, the villain realizes that Bruce is a rich kid and then asks, and kind of holds him hostage as his parents watch in horror and he, you know, break the beads, shoot the parents, cry, 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 I'm Batman. Um, Pearls in the rain. Yeah. Uh, and Bruce, of course, sees this all. And we then flash forward a little bit to Gordon, uh, Detective Jim Gordon at the Gotham PD. He's getting a new partner, and we see Harvey Bullock. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Batman animated series, Harvey Bullock is the cantankerous heavyweight detective who is constantly got it out for Batman. In this version, Harvey is the hot Hollywood detective from TV who is here to solve the Wayne murder because he thinks that's a like, big headline that he deserves. What I appreciate about this, Harvey is actually a good detective mm -hmm. and a good cop. He and just, a good he, person. And a good person. Like, He's, absolutely yeah. 100%, like, golden god, arrogant as hell, out for himself. Yeah. But also, his path to stardom happens to coincide with helping other yeah. people. He's a showboater, but his heart is actually in the right place. Think Booster Gold, but nice. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Booster Gold convinced that he can make the world a better place. Yeah, as opposed to selling out and using history secrets to be the coolest dude in the world. Harvey Bullock and Gordon obviously clash. We start to see that Gordon is really disillusioned with Gotham City. He doesn't apprehend some people even though he sees physical violence occurring in broad daylight. And we get the sense that either Gordon is on the take or afraid of something and Harvey starts to call him out. 
as time goes on, we see Bruce and Alfred start to get into it about Bruce's nighttime activities. Alfred's like, hey, you know what? If you're going to do this, you got to do it right. You should get a gun. And, and Bruce is like, no, fuck that. No guns. And Alfred's like, you're an idiot. And let me tell you why. Because Alfred has been in war. And Alfred is a wartime consigliere. And he's like, you're full of shit. You spoiled rich kid. And he beats the shit out of Bruce. And uh, Bruce fights back. And he's like, oh shit, maybe he is ready. Because he knocks off Alfred's prosthetic leg. Which is a... A very interesting move because it shows that Bruce feels bad about it, but then he like covers up with it with bravado, going like, "I will do everything I have to, even if I have to do it by myself." A thing worth noting is that Alfred specifically is the voice in this of you have to do whatever is necessary. Right. You have to sink to the level of this city. Yes, as compared, and I'll I have notes about this later on, but we usually see Alfred as the "Don't let this city and this mission break you" character. Here it's if you're going to do this, you yeah. have to be prepared to go to the mat and do whatever's necessary. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting. He's Gurney Halleck, if you're a oh, yeah. uh, if you're a Dune fan. You're welcome for that. That's a deep cut. Yeah. Uh, so, interspaced with all of this action, we also see some flashbacks of Bruce growing up, uh, either with or without his parents, uh, seeing their mausoleum filled with bats, and that's scaring the hell out of him. Also seeing the old Arkham Estate with the Dent Twins. Yeah. Harvey and his sister Jessica, who he seems to hang out with, but he also punches the shit out of Harvey because he's a little bastard. Um, lots of interesting little moments that are fleshing out Bruce's character very slowly, leading up to Bruce attending Oswald Cobblepot's uh, happy birthday. Mayor yeah, Cobblepot. Mayor Cobblepot's birthday gala for the city of Gotham. And Bruce is there because the guy he was chasing in the beginning of the comic was the first responding officer on his parents' murder who happens to also have his father's lighter. So he's been just tracking him down in the beginning of the comic, and he finds out that he works for Mayor Cobblepot and decides, well, I gotta be there because I gotta find this guy. So Bruce's first public appearance in probably decades, if ever, is to be a ruse so he could hunt down a bodyguard for the mayor. As he's there, we find that also Harvey, uh, or rather, uh, Bullock. I made the yeah. exact... It's Harvey Bullock. Or... It's... Yeah, oh, it, oh, it's yeah. Harvey Bullock and Harvey Dent. Why? It's because old timey names. About that. Yeah, um, Harvey. Sorry, ooh, that's a deep cut for those uh, Jimmy Stewart fans. Uh, and Bullock. Whoosh. Oh yeah, see, I, got, <laughs> I even got you on that one. That's a good one. Uh, Bullock and Gordon are there as a security detachment for the mayor, like you do as cops. Uh, P.S. We've seen Barbara show up in the comic mm -hmm. at this point. She has uh, brought uh, Gordon dinner because he, we clearly see that he never leaves the precinct because he's working all the time and she's a sweet kid and very cute and loves her dad yay barbara we like barbara at this party bruce identifies the guy that he wants to fight um gets in the batman outfit is ambushed on the roof and has a hustle and tussle kerfuffle with lots of guards and inevitably is confronted with gordon whom he sucker punches and breaks his nose and he fights bullock off uh makes his way off the roof using the new um gadget that lucius fox makes for him it's it's a grapple gun but like specifically the tip has like a, a piercer on it yeah so instead of like having to latch around an edge it can actually just like thunk into yeah. a ledge and just hold steady it's it's very neat and uh he goes through a window and crashes Cobblepot's party everyone's upset uh, and it's a pugilistic shit show. Yeah, it's it's a terrible thing. However, Bruce gets away. Alfred manages to snag the lighter in the alleyway because it falls out of Bruce's hands, and That's they right, bail. Yeah. 
Uh, we start to see that Cobblepot is also now pretty much a gangster in control of the city uh, and orders Weaver, the guy that Batman had been chasing, to be killed and dealt with because obviously he was there for him because he singled him out amidst all of those people there. Uh, this is the second time we have seen the birthday boy killer in this comic. The yeah. birthday boy killer uh, shows up at one point. We just see a young woman taken and presumably killed by him. It's a hulking man wearing what I can only describe as a Sandman from Spider-Man's shirt. And uh, it's... Oh, yeah, no, it took me a minute to put that together. But yeah, it's those like yellow-green stripes. It's the grossest horizontally striped polo you've ever seen yeah. with like humongous ham hock hands, thick, meaty forearms, and a burlap sack over his face. It's Leatherface, but cosplaying Yeah, Leatherface. It's Leatherface cosplaying as the Sandman. With... A like birthday boy kind of like that cone yeah. head hat. It's very creepy and scary. And he continually says, make a wish, but don't tell anybody. That's kind of his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Penguin is clearly in control of him, or at least hiring him out, because he sends the birthday boy killer after Weaver, who Batman was chasing. Keep up, we've got a lot of moving parts here. And as this begins to unfold, we see that, ooh, okay, maybe Cobblepot might have had something to do with thomas wayne's death because he was running against thomas wayne at the time also bullock pulls the wayne and uh wayne and wayne i guess not wayne and arkham it's the wayne and wayne murder file out under gordon's name because he's not in the system yet and that gets flagged by the bad guys they're like oh gordon's looking into the murder that's no good send birthday boy after his daughter so barbara gets kidnapped by the birthday boy and we find out later when uh gordon confronts bullock that his uh penchant for justice early in his career is what led to in his mind the tragic quote-unquote accident that killed his wife so he thinks that mobsters killed his wife because he was digging into stuff that he shouldn't have so that's what's been going on he's not on the take he's just broken for lack of a better term uh, Bullock vows to help him and they play bad cop bad cop on an informant and they beat the shit out of him and they find out that Barbara is indeed at uh, the Arkham Manor in the center of the city where Birthday Boy does his business and it's worth noting the that the Arkham Manor at this point really is just an old empty manor yeah. rather than being Arkham Asylum right. Meanwhile, Batman is investigating Weaver's death and realizes that the footprints that Birthday Boy left behind are filled with rust and remembers a thing that he talked about with his mother about the Arkham Manor being really rusty. He says, oh my god, they're at Arkham. Gordon, Bullock, and Batman meet at the Arkham Manor. They take on Birthday Boy. They save Barbara. But in the process, Bullock finds all the remains of Birthday Boy's victims and it psychologically breaks him. They get Barbara. They arrest Birthday Boy. And pretty much all's well that ends well for that part of the story. Afterwards, Batman makes his way to Mayor Cobblepot's office and realizes that, yes, indeed, Cobblepot is the one sending these people out. Weaver works for Cobblepot. He's put basically two and two together. In doing so, he gets a little surprised by Cobblepot's, like, umbrella sword things like you usually do. I like that they get one use out of it and it doesn't become a gag. Mm -hmm. And is fighting Cobblepot. It's not really a fight so much as that Bruce has been stabbed and he's kind of in shock from being stabbed and Cobblepot is beginning to continue to stab him and torture and gloat. There, there's some good villain monologuing right. going on. Yeah, it's it's a monologue. 
Uh, he rips the cowl off, sees that it's Bruce, which, you know, inevitably means he's going to die. Uh, speaking of, Alfred shows up with a shotgun and blows him <laughs> out a window. And which I was is, like, hell yeah, Alfred. That is not necessarily how I expected that volume to effectively end, it at least action-wise. dope as shit is <laughs> Alfred blowing the hell out of the penguin and watching him fall like six stories into the ground. He's like standing in the window, which means he... How did he... Did he like hop in and brace himself? Or did he actually like just stand in the window, absorb the recoil of the shotgun shot... And just not fall out, not it's, get knocked out? It's Alfred, he's hardcore. Yeah. Um, so, Alfred kills the penguin, takes Bruce home, and we see kind of the wrap-up that Gordon is now intent on not backing down against the city's evils. Bullock is going to slip into a bottle for probably the rest of his career. We see him broken, unshaven, and shuffling into a liquor store. Barbara is drawing the Batgirl costume. And... The last two panels are lots of news clippings about Batman with question mark motifs and a man looking at the Who is Batman headlines saying, what a riddle. I don't know how heavy handed that could be for you. It's probably the Riddler. (laughs) So that's the end of the summary. A lot going on. Bullet points. Batman origin story. Uh, Gordon and Bullock origin story. Penguin dies because he was behind the attempt on Thomas and Martha Wayne. Essentially, Weaver took the power out in the theater, which was supposed to draw people out, and then they were going to kill the Waynes. Unfortunately, Bruce led them out the back way and got them killed by a mugger instead. But Cobblepot admitted to it that he that was his plan. So, yeah, he was still an evil guy. Alfred teaches Bruce that he needs help and needs to be more prepared, so he, you know, employs Lucius Fox to help him make bat gear. Oh, Lucius is also seen making batarangs at the end of the comic. Mm-hmm. Batman, Gordon, and Bullock fight the birthday boy killer, and we see kind of the birth of the Bat family as well as the Batman myth in Gotham. Personally for me, Final Verdict, really like it. It doesn't pull any punches with concerns to certain characters alfred is mean but from a place of caring and from a place of not being someone ready to take on a child he specifically states that he's not a parent not that he isn't a parent apparently we find out that alfred has a wife and a child somewhere else uh which is interesting that they just kind of drop that in and nothing really comes of it it's just sort of a little bit of spice I guess added to the yeah, idea. Of I have I have volume two. We could so find I out. wondered about that actually. I have, I have volume two, um, but I'm assuming that will come to light. But yes, Alfred has an estranged family. He's not ready to take on Tom and Martha's kid, but does so because he feels bad. Bruce is a little shit. Good. I like the idea that his parents are really cool, and he's just kind of a little shithead. So I mean, that's the. Th- what other instances are there besides? Him pulling them over to see a different showing of the same movie where he is a little shit. Because the other scenes I'm thinking of where he's a kid, he's he seems pretty normal. That's, a, that's the thing is, I don't buy him being normal. Okay, there we go. I like, right. I like that he has a flaw as a child. However, Bruce's sort of weird, self-centered nature turns into an altruistic one at the end, which I like too. I like the journey from bratty rich kid to really concerned individual like he is his parents so 
end result of Braddy Kid is awesome superhero, and that's important for me. And I think that humanizes Batman a lot more than just I'm good all the time, and everything mm-hmm. would have been fine regardless, and I would have been a good person anyway. It's little flaws like that make him a little bit more relatable to me. Agreed. I I don't know to what degree that would carry through if there were more scenes of child Batman within this style. But I agree that that works really well as the, oh, you would have been a shit stain if if something hadn't come along and, like, jolted you out. Yeah, I I like that the catalyst for that is Alfred. And, again, it also makes Alfred more than just an acquiescing, affable sidekick. Mm -hmm. It makes him have a purpose other than just being, I'm Alfred, I've always been here, and I take care of you. It's, no... I'm not really, I don't really want to be here, but I care too much about your parents and you to leave you to do this by yourself, and I have a lot of knowledge that can be useful to you in doing a thing. So, do we want to, do we want to talk Alfred now? Sure. Yeah, let's go to Alfred. So, it seems, I do like this version of Alfred. Uh, I don't think this version of Alfred, like this version of Batman, would necessarily work as is in a like week to week when it's when Batman is settled in. The whole point of this is it's an origin story when they don't have everything figured out, when they haven't reached a status quo. Uh, because this is the version, like I, I mentioned, the way I think of him is that like Spartan mentor of get up, do it until it's right. Or, if you're not willing to go all the way, then screw you, you're, you're worthless, throw right. you off the cliff of I don't remember what his name is. Right. Uh, but I think this version of Batman of uh, Alfred kind of exposes what I think is the limited vocabulary of normal Alfred. Maybe this is just because I'm working off the top of my head, uh, or rather research time earlier, but trying to remember the thing, the driving definitions of Alfred seems like there are three sort of settings that he has. Remember that thou art mortal. Uh, nurture the family, even if that means standing up to the family, like especially defending Dick uh, from mm-hmm. uh, Bruce just being an asshole, like especially cutting him off uh, when Dick wanted to be more involved in Teen Titans. Uh, and then the third thing was size and snarks and patches you up. It feels like those are really the only three verbs and motivations that he has with the exception of like now they're adding seen some shit to his repertoire uh the whole burn we had to burn the village the forest down in order to get and catch the gem thief or whatever um but it seems like those are really the only three things that alfred ever does which makes him a profoundly archetypal character and very effective however he is so defined by his relationships with others that he it feels like he's only ever a vehicle for the writer to push things in a direction rather than what would Alfred actually want. Right. We don't know really what Alfred wants aside to be part of Bruce's family. It is a weakness of the character. I mean, everyone has motivation. Everybody wants something except Alfred. He's so team mom that he's not a person he's just kind of a background element right that pushes other people forward and it works okay like i really like the times especially like when he is the arbiter within the bat family like i like the idea that he's the only one that bruce will sometimes listen to or will put up with 
intervening in things. Right. But it does mean, like, he has a very limited set of verbs. We, he needs a Sokka episode. Yes! Um, he needs a Sokka learning how to forge and craft a sword. Like, he, yes. needs, he needs that episode for him to be, like, a thing. I think what this comic sets up, though, is that he's Bruce's first mentor. Mm-hmm. And that's different, too, because Alfred really doesn't do much other than be a shoulder to cry on and, like, remember your roots. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a version of Alfred that's seen some shit that can teach Batman something. Instead of him having to go, like, I'm going to go to the League of Assassins and learn from a 700-year-old man about how to kill people and then not kill people but also scare them. Having Alfred know things that Bruce doesn't know and impart that knowledge gives him a little bit more of a level. Agreed. And it it's... Interesting that you bring up that specific comparison because that's honestly where my brain went. Like, it, this feels like a Ra's al Ghul kind of Alfred. And I don't think there's a way to combine those characters. No. But yeah. it had that same feel of here is the person who sets themselves up as an adversarial mentor. And yeah, I think he does a great job of filling that role here. Yeah, I, I enjoy this version of Alfred because I also like a version of Alfred that calls Bruce Wayne out. Yes. You know. And honestly, I think that's something that Alfred should always do. Uh, I think he should be that voice of, remember this thing that you say is important to you. Hey, in your face, in your face. Family, bad family, uh, and don't drive yourself insane. Yeah. Yeah, movie and animated series Alfreds are lovable and sweet and great. I like a version of Alfred that is just 30% Bruce's dad to the point where he can reprimand him and he might actually be the Mm -hmm. only person that Bruce would feel bad getting yelled at by. Yeah. And you know what? That actually brings something up. Because what I'm thinking of when I envision that scene, like the times that those scenes happen where Alfred yells at Bruce, the tool that Alfred uses is the memory of your parents. It's not I see this in you yeah. and I want this for you as much it often feels like it's your father your, remember never, yeah. this is what your dad would have done or this is what your dad would have wanted for you instead of it being that's not him, what I taught you that yeah it's not that personal here's what I think and feel that's not how I raised you you're not disappointing me you're disappointing your parents yeah and it I, I want that moment for it to come from Alfred and I think that's important for their relationship to really, instead of be master and servant, to be father and son, or at least family, mm-hmm. you know, and that's... Uh, and I, I think the conciliary remark is actually spot on, like, the point at which he, sh- he should graduate from being the butler and the patcher-upper to being, like, the one who can call you out. Your, your XO, who you can turn to and say, am I wrong? And they say, yeah. Yeah. I almost like the idea, the, the the role that I have in my head is that he's not the one who ever gets to make a decision in, in like the fully established Bat family. Right. The, uh, all the Robins, all of the, all the Birds of Prey, every, all that sort of network. He's not the one who ever gets to make decisions, but he can call the, uh, the whole assembly together and say, we need a meeting, here's the agenda. Yeah. And maybe he's the secretary or maybe he just says... Here's a list of things to discuss and just steps back and it becomes like, okay, like maybe he's the chair of the committee. Right. He doesn't get to vote on it. He's the vice president kind of, but he can say, you guys need to come to a decision. 
all of you that you agree on with regards to how we handle the Joker next time. Right. Um, I almost, I almost really want to see like a story of him and Oracle mm. just figuring something out. That would be, that would be cool. Like how to deal with the birds of prey and like Barbara's like, how do I do this? How did you ever <laughs> handle such weird personalities? And he's like, well, for starters, um, I'm older than you, and I've just seen more shit. So I have a little bit more patience. You know, <laughs> it'd be really funny like to see the two of them like over yeah. coffee. Like, so how's Huntress? I fucking hate her. You know, and just I don't know what to do about her. She's so annoying, and all she wants to do is kill people. And Alfred's like, mm, been there, Jason Todd. So let's talk. Step number one: withholding sandwiches. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work, Alfred. Quite. That's why there's step two. Well, first of all, your problem is that you're not giving sandwiches. So yes, of course that's not how that's working. <laughs> of course you can't withhold sandwiches if you never give them. Yeah. The ne- uh, smash cut. So you call this here to, here are triangles, yeah. eat the triangle sandwiches. I, I love the idea that like Black Canary would be like, sweet, and just like dig in. And like, Lady Blackhawk's <laughs> like, ooh! You know? And uh, Huntress is just like staring across the table. We have a couple panels of eating, and then beat panel. Good talk. There are also orange slices. <laughs> <laughs> I will take an orange slice. <laughs> just that's the beginning. Uh, you're welcome, DC. That one's for free. Uh, Bullock. Yeah, I love Bullock. In oh this. man, it's so great. It's my favorite version of Bullock ever. So again, Harvey Bullock from the cartoons is the overweight guy who hates Batman and always tries to pin everything on Batman, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. I love like lawful good as well as incredibly skilled cop Bullock mm-hmm. instead of an inept buffoon that we can laugh at. It's he's not just the paladin who is archetypally lawful good. He is actually like lawful good in yeah. addition to the self-centeredness. Mor- morally good if mm-hmm. a little bit if a little bit selfish and self-interested. Yeah. The moment that he fucks up and he realizes that he's gotten Barbara in trouble, it's look I fucked up. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's fix this. He takes ownership completely over the situation and always offers a, su- a suggestion or a solution to help Gordon get his daughter back. It, it's a degree of innocence. Like, he is very naive and self-centered, but at the same time, he is innocent of, oh, oh, this is what happens in the real world. Okay, let's fix it. Yeah. He's also incredibly self-aware and capable. You know, mm-hmm. I'm instead of going like, it's not my fault, you know, oh, I feel bad. You know, it's like, no, yeah, I screwed up. He never once tries to contradict Gordon when he says, like, this is your fault. Mm-hmm. He just lets him have that because he's like, he's right. You know, like, I'm not going to yeah. I'm not going to fight that. And, it is my fault. And importantly, I think it's partly because he believes that he can fix it that yeah. it, or that it can be fixed. Or, yeah. Whereas Gordon's sort of given up. He's jaded. Yeah. Um, which makes his uh, snap that much sadder. Him seeing all the dead girls that birthday boy had killed. It's just so tragic. And you feel for him. You really do feel so bad for him. Because in in the comic, he does do things. It's not Gordon doing everything. It's not Batman doing everything. Like, he does attack birthday boy. He is the one that instigates them attacking the, the thug that knows where Barbara is. He leads them to Arkham. Like, he's the one doing a lot of stuff. He calls in the backup. He's Mm -hmm. a part of this. And then watching him become helpless after seeing Mm -hmm. the insurmountable evil that is Gotham City just break him. Yep. And Because he even says, like, no, I don't drink earlier in the comic. And then Mm -hmm. when he goes to the liquor store, it's such a good 
it's one page yeah. of him standing in front of a liquor counter with just a floor to ceiling pile and stacks and yeah. stacks and he just says what's the strongest thing you have yeah. and it's so sad and, and uh, i kind of like want to touch on both that bit and also just that chunk of the book in general uh so I'm going to make two very different comparisons for the that end of the volume where they're showing Bullock, Barbara, and the Riddler start to become themselves. And also Gordon and Batman, of course. On the one hand, it's kind of Animal House. Yeah. Because it really is a where are they now kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, it's also nothing gold can stay. Specifically the line, so Eden sank to grief. Uh, Frost summarized all of the tragedy of Genesis and Paradise Lost, which is insanely dense and insanely long into that one line and that one line evokes all of those feelings uh this volume evokes all the tragedy and glory of each of those characters arcs in a few pages because we know that we we've just seen uh bullock especially go from golden we confused him with harvey dent you heard us the archetypal perfect person or at least golden and self-absorbed but golden and then here we see him about like starting his fall and we know where he's going to end up we know that barbara is going to become this high-flying bad girl and there's also the part in the back of our minds that says oh yeah and she's going to get crippled and then come back but then you have uh gordon start the war uh you have batman start the legend all of those things are implied in this coda uh and Here's something that's interesting about that. So that coda is, it's foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about that is that because it's foreshadowing who those characters become, relying on our knowledge of what what we've seen before, it's kind of implying that the starting point doesn't matter. That Earth-1 versions of these characters are going to be the same people. It's Bullock especially, it's a little bit hard to believe he's going to wind up being, like, implicated... Because, correct me if I'm wrong, at one point Bullock was actually implicated in working with criminals. Correct? Um, being on the take? Are you talking about the Batman Begins? Because uh, it's no. a different guy. No, um, Bullock is never on the take. Okay. Um, I misremembered that. He's the... He's the hard ass that all the criminals hate because mm. he is never going to break. But also, at the same time, he's... A chump. So he's okay. just—he's I, I misremembered that. He's a nuisance. What's interesting? I mean, we talked about how Bullock was this Harvey Dent, like Golden Boy, uh, and by the end of the story, it wants us to believe that these characters are going to end up the same as the main canon. That's the whole th- un- like secondary thrust of that coda. Is on the one hand, this is the start of these stories. Let's evoke those feelings. The secondary impact is that oh, they're going to have. It wants us to believe they're going to have the same stories, which is interesting in Elseworlds property. It's also weird because speaking of volume two, I did actually look it up. Apparently, like, I think this came out in 2012. Mm -hmm. They were going to aim for a 2013 release, wound up being a 2015 release for volume two. And uh, 
apparently volume two like is most at least somewhat all about uh the riddler murdering people to get batman's attention so cool maybe not completely the same i'm down out of characters but one way or another it's fascinating that here we are with a different origin story and some very different retellings of some of these characters that we're being led to believe are going to end up the same right. way because even if you're not familiar with these characters these pages still evoke base emotion yeah you feel bad for harvey you're excited for barbara and you feel vindicated for uh gordon mm -hmm. those are the base emotions out of those if you if you have no background with them you're like yeah oh ooh. so that's an interesting point i'll agree with that but i'm going to put a conditional on there you don't have to know the characters in the dc context but you know the characters and the archetypes from general tropes like it's it's, it's having read the tv tropes page with or the tv tropes page for fallen or rough cop rather than reading the tv tropes page for harvey bullock it's we know where those kinds of characters go right and yeah, that's the, that could be true. It's just, it's a good read. Oh, yeah. Honestly, uh, yeah. highly recommend this to anybody. Um, it's one of my favorite Batman comics because it makes me like Batman. And I, I feel really strongly about anything that makes me <laughs> like Batman is actually really well written. Mm -hmm. um, I thought Birthday Boy and Penguin were really interesting picks. Yeah. They were cool. It was... Has Birthday, Birthday Boy been around in anything else? To my knowledge, this is the first appearance of him. Um, that's sounds And... Good. I liked this version of Penguin. He was creepy. He was gross. He was uh, exactly what I want out of Penguin as a character, which is corruption at its uh, at the highest level. Mm -hmm. And specifically, like the way that he interacted with. There was one point where he actually like they brought. Uh, I mean, a, a kid, young, a, a young girl, I believe, a fifteen-year-old out, and like, hey, this is the person you asked us to grab. We're gonna give her to Birthday Boy. Okay, and he's creepy with About. her just like evaluating her oh yeah he's gonna love you yeah uh and it it went it takes it from just him being corrupt to being that little heartless bit, dis dispassionate the, yeah the dash of supervillain that's creepy he represents everything um every sin that's in gotham yes sloth yeah. he's greed. not just human he's an avatar of the city in yeah. some ways so it's it's very it's a very good portrayal of him mm -hmm. um yeah, I mean, this is this is just a, a good, interesting version of a comic that mm -hmm. this is a real pathos-driven, emotion, dark, gritty version of a comic that doesn't rely on sex and violence to be mature. I'll, I think that's the key statement. This isn't Frank Miller. This no. is th this is the Batman end of the superhero spectrum. Yes, it's, it's dark, but it doesn't quite reveling yeah you're, this isn't alan moore okay yeah. like you're not reading mm -hmm. you're not reading something that's going to make you feel like slightly uncomfortable this will not make you feel that way this will make you go like "Ooh, this is cool mm -hmm. it's i was not expecting this and also like this is darker than i i thought this is as dark as mm -hmm. people think batman should be when people like yeah. when, people, when people say that they like their batman dark this is as dark as batman should get i'll agree with that in general i think there is some there is utility to stories like arkham asylum that do get darker but this is like you could sustain this kind of storytelling for yeah. a long stretch of time whereas like arkham asylum uh the comic is meant to be like a dunk yourself in cold water come up okay that's done 
Well, there's a, I think on. there's a difference between psychological dark and like the horrors of humanity. I don't think Batman needs to deal with dead children very often. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. like dead dead kids killed by a serial killer who specifically kills young girls because they look like his first victim mm-hmm. is as dark as Batman should ever get, in my opinion. And really quickly, before we move on from Birthday Boy, I do think that he one of the reasons he's really effective is because he fills the niche of madness in addition to like the criminal world that all makes all kinds of sense that Cobblepot has like that person that gets contracted out to is the the dash of madness that sort of embodies yeah. what Gotham can have uh and I think it works because he really is just a big buff guy. Yeah. That's all he is. No superpowers. And it works so well because we know that super uh, monsters like that really do exist. Right. So it's very effective. I like I like that. Sometimes you need to slay a dragon. Yeah. And that's really all the story calls for. He, yeah. After all, Batman is the Dark Knight. Sometimes he just needs a monster. Mm-hmm. And, and the monster in this case doesn't take any extra page time to no. explain or yeah. empathize. Because that was... Because yep. because it was about the mystery. Yes. It's uh, Char- a, little dashes of character that don't get in the way. Yeah, that don't make it just about how crazy the person is. You can make it about how evil they are and how how dark people are, as opposed to trying to one up the other villain in how exotic they can be. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. And that's really the thing with me and Batman villains is like Batman villains are really really good. They don't need to be hung up on being a Batman villain. A lot of them have really good motives that you can work with on a very fundamental human level that make them way cooler to deal with than just I'm crazy and also a clown, mm-hmm. you know. And that it gets it can get boring after a while, and that's why Birthday Boy isn't a recurring thing. One shot, you're done. He represents evil. He makes Batman go like, oh shit, this is what's like really in Gotham. He ruins Harvey Bullock. You see that he's got impact. He is a primal force of evil. And we move forward, and everyone has a character moment, and we've learned. Like, that's all you need, and it's and it's really well done. Alright. First off, we touched on this a little bit. I really, 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 really like the idea of Bruce as heir to both the Arkhams and the Waynes. Yes. And to be clear, like, in, in this, the Arkhams are a bloodline, a family tree that goes back a ways uh, through Martha Wayne, and she's the last remaining Arkham, uh, Thomas is the last remaining Wayne. Uh, and the Arkhams have always had that dash of crazy. Like, specifically, they talk about uh, his grandfather pushing his grandmother off of the roof or no, something like that. She kills no? him. Okay. The grandmother murders the grandfather in his sleep, and then she jumps off the roof of the, of the mansion. Mm-hmm. And I really like the idea of embedding that question of how obsessed are you with everything? How crazy is the your fixation with being Batman into his blood. I like that that becomes part of who he is and his identity that he has to grapple with. Uh, Instead of it just being who he is, it's also what he is, I guess, that that question becomes primal. Right. And especially in a character whose driving motivation is parents. Yeah. Like, the more that you can place those core character conflicts and questions into those parents the better right. I'm, I'm i would fully endorse having this be like part of the canon uh his mom being an arkham that's why i like the batman telltale game 
They Ooh. do a good job of that. You need to play more I, of that. I, honestly, like, I got done yeah. with this, and I'm like, oh, I need to play that yeah. now. <laughs> um, that that game does a good job of, of fucking with the establishment in that sense and being like, oh, here's not something you maybe never thought of. And it's like, ooh, that's a good, that's a good thing. I need um, to play it. You can see my playthrough of it and you'll know what I'm talking about but other, or you can just watch Matt play when he plays it also I like the idea that the Arkham's built Gotham the Waynes yeah. bought it that's super or, cool I, I think they like put it as financed it. yeah um, but, but either way like and, the, the money and the drive yeah and they show a, a old tiny map of Gotham and it's like a fucking vortex yeah it's so cool and like everything revolves and slowly swirls into the Arkham mansion and I was like that's an awesome representation of, of Gotham as a city and I, I really like that mm-hmm. uh, I'll see if I can post a picture of it on the on the Instagram so you can all revel in the madness so this is going to get more into the weeds but it's kind of interesting stuff so, we do have the archetypal Bruce Wayne at a party scene. Uh, he goes to a couple pots, uh, big ol' shindig. I think it's like the 300th anniversary of it's, Gotham or it's some shit. Gotham birthday. Yeah. Hey, excuse for a party. I'm yeah. rich. Here, go hang out with the call girls <laughs> and <laughs> the expensive <laughs> men. Yeah. Uh, but, brief note. So, every woman in a rich Gotham party, at, at least in this, and I feel like I've seen this same thing in every other, like... Bruce Wayne at a shallow party kind of sequence. Um, if they're every woman, if they're being dis- portrayed as a gold digger or as a trophy wife, they're wearing one of three dresses: mm-hmm. long thigh slit and a low cut or a deep V cut uh, top, uh, backless short dress or an ass hugger dress, and all of them are one flat color. I literally googled haute couture dress and got so much more variety that seems way sexier than these three dresses like i get that the idea is to show that both the women and the men are shallow but shallow doesn't mean that they appreciate like plain skimpy dresses more than extravagant skimpy dresses i understand that part of it is to make these women and the men that they're talking to part of the background instead of grabbing attention but i mean we know that scene where someone like comes over to bruce wayne and says hey how are you doing and they're trying to get his attention and we are as the reader supposed to pay attention to this person at least briefly like in that moment there are so many cooler dress designs than just flat red thigh slit do something interesting these people are supposed to have so much fucking money that they don't matter well (laughs) it's believed that some of the women and men there are prostitutes and so yeah at that point you kind of go like that's like their nicest dress but, well you that's know? the thing like they're they're prostitutes to the rich and wealthy there are so many cooler things to be seen in and granted this is me like hey i'm probably like up middle class upper upper middle class somewhere in there and i don't have like a strong like haute couture bone in my body at all but if your whole point, like, I, I guess part of it is I need to understand, like, what modern call girls and escorts would wear on an average uh, date. But if you're going to try for attention, if you're going to try to show, hey, I am part of this rich crowd, it doesn't, like, a flat, uh, just a plain red, uh, not even, like, bright red. It's, like, that kind of not quite pastel, but a lighter red uh, with a uh, thigh-high slit. It feels like there are so many better dresses that you could be wearing and specifically that the artist should be investing the time to draw. 
If you are a call girl, please email us at dcdetectives at gmail.com and let us know what your haute couture outfit is for fancy parties. Like, actually, I am legitimately interested in that. Like, <laughs> seriously. Because I assume that there's got to be if you are way a pro- cooler If stuff. you are a professional sex worker and you feel comfortable discussing that, uh, someone would like to discuss that with you. There you go. I would actually be 100% down to oh, like, I, discuss I know you fashion. are. Yeah. I'm sure you are. And I, I, I don't think it is a waste of time either. Like, it's it's a relevant question. And, like, I get the impression yeah. that it might have just been a conscious decision. None of these people are important. It doesn't really matter what they're wearing, but these types of dresses. And he drew those types of dresses. That may be a little bit simpler than, than you're reading into. Yeah. I, I think you're 100% correct. I think it's just... I would like to see more interesting things because sure. i imagine there are more interesting things being worn in actual life yeah but I, yeah i mean you're 100 correct that they are meant to be background uh really the like those characters yeah. are, are props yeah uh for in the background they're designed designed to be something taken in as part of the tableau it's also kind of noirish 1920s ish so they don't want something that looks too modern but but yeah uh Thing to always remember about the Batman mythos. Crime is usually personal. So I'm citing from the paper, uh, Violent Victimization Committed by Strangers, 1993-2010, to published by a subgroup of the Department of Justice. Only 21% to 27% of homicides were committed by strangers during, I think, during that period. It might have been uh, a sub-chunk of that period. But it's worth remembering that as much as this story especially focuses on the idea of, I mean, stranger danger is a weird way to put it, but no, essentially like right. random crime that is violent uh, rather than like crime that has a reason. This is just, hey, they bump into someone who robs them and kills them. It's important to remember that that is in a small subsection of actual homicides. As with most crimes, it is more likely that there is some connection between the victim and the perpetrator. Uh, so remember that even though Batman kind of tries to make you afraid of cities at large, uh, you're probably good. So don't be too afraid. Yeah, uh, random acts of criminality do not happen as frequent as Final Fantasy instant combat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Uh, okay, I got a few other things. Um so it's implied that Thomas Wayne and Alfred were in either De- Desert Storm or the 2003 invasion of Iraq. There's a mention of uh, the things that we, we did in the desert. Uh, mm. So my assumption is that it's Desert Storm because whatever it was happened like 10 to 15 years before the present day in the comic. Uh, Correct, yeah. Thomas was a medic. Alfred was a British Marine. Uh, Thomas was scarred by what he saw there. I don't have a great understanding of the -the on-the-ground situation of Desert Storm, so I did a bit of digging. First off, holy shit, uh, 69,000 Iraqi soldiers were taken as POWs, and the casualty discrepancy was absolutely insane, with non-Kuwaiti coalition forces losing 292 killed, and like 150 of those were friendly fire accidents of some kind, uh, or accidents in general, uh, and Iraq losing 20k to 30k dead. Uh, Second... While that may, might have been a near-flawless success for the soldiers, let's talk about Thomas Wayne's perspective for that. Assuming that he was, like, a not frontline doctor, but, like, deployed in Saudi Arabia or in or following up uh, in Kuwait and then into Iraq. In, like, uh, in a mash? 
Uh, yeah. Mobile, yeah. mobile army, surgical hospital. That kind of thing. One way or another, like, near the front. Uh, so, after the 100 hours of invading Iraq began, the only medical treatment available for all the wounded Iraqis would have been coalition medics or NGOs like uh, Médecins Sans Frontières. Uh, I'm trying to imagine, like, Thomas Wayne balancing the jubilation that so few of your allies are dying with the horror of being knee-deep in your enemies dead and dying, working feverishly to heal the backlog that your own allies are responsible for making so impossibly large that you can't possibly save them all. On the one hand, like, what, what's the, I think, the French Napoleonic era term for it? The Splendid Little War? But on the other hand, he is one of the ones who is cleaning up after it, presumably. One last chunk. So, I do like two particular things that this book did to set the tone via little details. Uh, the first, because it's quick, you see Batman's eyes a lot in this. It doesn't do like the... So unsettling, uh, <laughs> isn't it? Yes, and specifically, here is it, here's what it is. I realize what it is. It's not just you see the eyes. You see a lot of the skin around the eyes. Like, you see eye use, socket. He doesn't use the eyeshadow to, Ex like, the, yep. the mascara. Ooh, yeah, yeah. He really doesn't. It's just you see eyes and the eye socket around it. Like, you see the eyebrows. Not the eyebrows, but that whole chunk. Adam West Ooh. mask. Ooh, yeah, it's that. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, the yeah. Adam West mask where you see way more skin than you're comfortable with, and you're like, mm. and especially <laughs> because like the first sh real shot of that is when he is utterly failing to catch Weaver the first time, and it just really, really, really emphasizes the this isn't Batman yet. Uh, the other thing was in actually that same scene uh, that we talked about, that first uh, trying and failing to apprehend Weaver. Uh, he had Batman has his like moment of doubt uh, and he doesn't think he can do it that kind of stuff he he sees some uh, shop owner get uh, shoplifted guys calling for help and Batman does the uh, oh, look away uh, from an alley and then he sees a homeless woman asking him not to hurt her uh, just like hey don't hurt me weird guy yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to be here uh, there's a bit of graffiti behind her. And it specifically says, fight the. Like, it was going to be presumably fight the power. But for me, that established the pathos for both the city and for Bruce in particular. Because something made whoever was tagging the wall run, even before they could finish the thought of resistance. And later on you see, Gordon is like that epitome, because he's given up on fighting and apprehending the the well-connected criminals who can hurt uh, his daughter. Uh, and then after he hands the woman some money, just, hey, good luck, uh, we have the moment of hope and it zooms out a little bit and around the corner we see Spritton tagged on the, the wall around the corner. It has graffiti of, you'll never walk alone. It's just like, mm -hmm. yes, thank you. I like these little details. Uh, I think that's pretty a pretty good wrap up. Um, again, we can't recommend this enough. It's really good. Um, as always, please rate and like the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. All it takes is just like a little click, even if it's just one star. We love you anyway. Um, you jerk. <laughs> Speaking of things that we want people to like, do you have anything that you're uh, consuming right now Ooh. that's awesome? Um, holy shit, I almost cried reading Aquaman Rebirth, so... Rebirth's got a good track record. Yeah, me. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, Aquaman Rebirth is actually written by Dan Abnett, 
if you're a fan of the Warhammer books. Holy I shit. lost my shit when I found out it's about amazing. that. It's <laughs> amazing. It's so good. It's so fun and so cool. And it treats Aquaman with just the level of, like, Primark that you're like, ooh, this is dope. <laughs> like, where was this hiding? And you're like, in Warhammer 40K. That's where that was. All right, sweet. So, uh, it's, it's worth a look if you're still unsure about Aquaman, which you shouldn't be because I keep telling you about Aquaman. You need to you read do. it. You need to understand that Aquaman is worth your time. I'm sorry. What about you? Well, I'm on the fence about Friends at the Table. There are some spectacular moments, but it it's hard to do uh, role-playing games as live streams or podcasts well. And part of it is the system that they were using was a little bit weird, but there are some spectacular moments in uh, Friends at the Table. Uh, Austin Walker does that from Waypoint. I'm not going to give it un- an unqualified recommendation, what I will give an unqualified recommendation for, and I'm going to need to put a picture of this on the site. Uh, this is the actual reason that I reminded us about and to do recommendations. So, John, I'm mm. going to let you in on a family secret. Mm. Once upon a time, in, I, I assume, some manner of uh, secondhand shop, we discovered an absolutely hideous vest. Absolutely hideous. Mm. Just looks abysmal. Mm. Uh, gar- garish and loud. And since then, it has become the parsley game of can how do you deliver it to the next person in the family? That's a good way of describing something. Uh, but yes, just for instance, once upon a time, we went to a show uh, like a like not modern dance, but like a little bit of Cirque du Soleil and Polynesian culture thing in uh, Hawaii. And my grandma rushed ahead of us so that she could get one of the one of the ushers to have the vest lying on one of the chairs when we got there. Oh, that's a dick. Whoa. Oh, it was perfect. Just things like that. So I'm just, I just want you to react. Don't you can't give this to me. I'm not giving it to you. Oh, okay. I, just want, I was like, you can't fuck with me like that. I'm not a part of the no, game. This is a family thing. This is a family thing. But how hideous is this it's like aladdin's vest and bill cosby's sweater like got together and decided that you know what would be really fun if we swap clothes are there lions on that there are lions on stripes yeah (laughs) and on the reverse there is cheetah pattern yeah, I mean, you can't talk shit about people knowing fashion when you got this lying around no. in the closet. We have a, the reason we have that is because it's horrible, and I need to figure out a way to deliver it to my sister. Oh, I'll do it. No, no. That, she won't expect that. She won't. That's the You're thing. Right. Is like, you got to have her come over and be like, ooh, uh, so I know we've only hung out like three times, but I saw something, and I wanted to give it to you, and I just give it to her, and she just... Bro, I have iced people before. I know what to do. <laughs> Anyways, uh, onto the noir. Remember to like us uh, on SoundCloud for as long as that service sticks around. Yeah, and uh, iTunes, please, again. And we are on Facebook, the DC Detectives Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, we are at DCD Podcast. We have all those pictures that uh, you know and love on the Instagram. And the Twitter is us talking with wonderful, lovely people about comics. So please join those conversations. And we will see you next time. DC Detectives can be found on iTunes and Stitcher. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook page, our Twitter, our Instagram, and dcdetectivespodcast.com. Palette cleansers are nice. Much like the movie did for Diana, Earth One made us feel like we had a better version of Batman to look to when comparing to his Golden Age self. 
However, the same issue arose. We were not satisfied with what we were directly dealing with in the 30s and 40s. As the train began to slowly start its journey again, the sun having firmly fallen past the horizon, we braced ourselves for what would greet us in the dark night.